Hey, it's your pal Mike from Sly Flourish here with another DMs Deep Dive. Today, I am here with Ryan Service. Uh, Ryan, say hello. Yeah, hi. I'm the lead writer and designer over at 2C Gaming LLC, which is a uh, third-party publishing platform for D Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition products. And we've done lots of interesting things in between, including competitive tournaments at conventions and all kinds of fun stuff and professional DMing. And I'm really excited to get into a fascinating discussion topic today. What are your, what are your, not to have you choose your children, but which of your products are you, are you, are you, are your favorites? Or do you want to pitch? Um, so personally, I think the one that has, that has really nailed it in terms of what we wanted to do and succeeded at was our Total Party Kill Bestiary Volume 2, mm -hmm. which is like a, a collection of uh, about a hundred high CR monsters or fifth edition play that not just have stats, but have all the tools you need to integrate them into a campaign effectively. Um, we really did a good job with that one. I feel it's play tested, it's proven and it, it works really, really well. Yeah. Um, it, it, it gar guaranteed to de the, uh, deliver on what it promises. The TPK is tongue in cheek, by the way. It's a, <laughs> it's not, are you sure? It's, <laughs> Mostly, 90, mostly 95% tongue based on your every... you, you play tested it right how the yeah how many tpks in the play test <laughs> um so all the monsters were defeated in play test by appropriately leveled parties so mm -hmm. they are all beatable however one monster in every group because we organize them into groups has a stamp which says this monster is unfair it has <laughs> mechanics that are not reasonable and they're extremely punishing and uh, are designed to f give you that classic brutality. Right. Um, but the DM is made aware of that very clearly. Like, red alert, don't run this unless you really <laughs> are ready. okay with it. <laughs> we basically say, don't run this unless you are really okay with the party getting completely bodied by this thing. Like, just right. not even, you know, like a couple unlucky rolls were the only difference between crushing defeat and, and barely clinching victory. Um, yeah, that's my... The, uh... So 13th Age has something similar to that, right? They're, I don't know if you're familiar mm -hmm. with 13th Age, but the mm -hmm. the monsters yeah. the monsters they have there have a thing called the Nastier Specials, right? And they're like, <laughs> they have sort of their typical monster, and then they have this little sidebar underneath called the Nastier Special. And I always wish that 5th edition had something like that. Like, I'd love, here's this optional, like, FU, right? This little optional thing you can add to a monster that just makes it 50% more dangerous than it would be, would it be otherwise. Yeah, we had we had a lot of fun. It was one of the most fun books to write that I've ever worked on, yeah. um, which you know is unusual when you're writing over a hundred thousand <laughs> words. At a certain point, it start stops becoming fun. Right, right. Not this one. This one was great. Yeah. So so you and I met uh, back I think back in PAX, right? When you were running a I don't know if I met you personally. I can't remember. No, I, I, I was involved I in TC. I observed you from afar because I didn't want because you were I we didn't want to bother our, you. We were cheering when our five paladins were beating the crap out of Strahd in a yeah you guys kill Strahd uh, competition set the record on fastest clear on <laughs> let's kill Strahd. So we had to for the next tournament uh, that told us a lot about what it meant to make a more difficult tournament, and right. we did. Yep. And that one was much harder. Yep. So thank you for that sure. valuable. I wasn't there for valuable, the second one. <laughs> yeah. The, Valuable data. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, so you and I, you and I have hung out a lot in uh, in my my Discord chat. We've we've chatted since then and talked about lots of different things. And today we were having an interesting conversation that I thought would be fun to bring online. Actually, it was your suggestion to bring it online, and then mine to like, hey, let's make it a show. Um, yeah. 
And the topic, so I had a, I had sort of a hypothesis I was testing, an idea. I started, I wrote like the first three sentences of an article this morning and, mm -hmm. and I've been pondering it and I threw it out as I, I will often do. I'll go to the Discord and I'll say like, hey, let me throw this idea out there. And then I'll, I'll get people who are like, that's stupid, right? Or that no one's ever said that, but they're like, you know, I'll get feedback on it and it'll be useful feedback before I put out an article and get a lot of feedback. That's like, wow, you're way wrong. So I always want to check yeah. like, am I way wrong? And uh, yeah. with this one, I think I had a fair number of people that were on board. Uh, but you, you had a point that was that was contrary to it. And I was like, "Ooh, this is interesting. Let's let's bring up this topic and let's and let's discuss it." Because yeah, I don't know that even you and I are even sure that we're contrary or not. But but I yeah. thought it would be an interesting conversation. So the the, the topic of conversation is uh, basically centers around. So my original hypothesis was that the most important DM trait is being a fan of the characters. And I've and I've changed a couple pieces of this as I thought about it more, because a defining something as most important DM trait is, is a little hard to do because there's a lot of things a DM needs to do to be able to run a game. And like I was talking with my wife about it and she said, well, you know, uh, what did she bring up? What about enthusiasm? What about wanting to be a DM? Like, isn't that more important? And I'm like, maybe it is. Right. Like, that's a good yeah. point. Like, you know, you could be a fan of the characters and hate DMing and have a terrible game. And she's like, what about basic storytelling? You know, and I said, well, <laughs> is it better to have a good storyteller who's not a fan of the characters or a, someone who is a fan of the characters that's a bad storyteller. And we couldn't really figure that out. So we're like, okay, best making it the best trait is probably too much, you know, but, a, but, a, yeah. a, but an important trait I can certainly say and, and, and go with. Oh, oh yeah. And I mean, it's important to say these traits can also be, you know, split the difference of like, this one is 22% important. Well, well, right. That other one is 21% important. And it's, like it's, and it's, as, it's and not as, a zero sum thing. Right. As metric driven as I like to be, these are the kinds of things you can't really tie metrics to. Um, but you can, well, I'll, I'll give an example where you kind of can, and that's Baldwin Games with their DM surveys that they've done. They've done like, I think literally mm -hmm. hundreds of thousands of surveys of players who have played with DMs and have identified when people have had the best time and what traits are most important. And for Baldwin Games, it turned out that game prep was number one, followed by mm -hmm. friendliness and fun. And then four, and fourth was rules. Now, and, and again, Michelle and I, my wife and I were talking about it. And our question was like, is, is prep actually that important? Prep is really important when you're running organized play Adventures League games, right? Sort of like, you know, the Adventure Paths in Pathfinder, right? You can't really run a Pathfinder Adventure Path, you know, without reading it, right? You, you can. Yeah, would, it's probably not going to be great. Yeah, I would also push back on that a little bit and just yeah. say, I, I feel like rules is part of the prep. Like knowing the rules is a preparation tactic. Yeah, so, I think you like, know, like what rules you're going to need to reference and things yeah, like that. Yeah, you got to have a basic level of understanding, right? You have to have there's, there's yeah. like a there's a, a relative, but I would say that that's a pretty low level, particularly if you're willing to fall back to your players uh, to help you with some of the rules if you don't know them all, right? Like, yeah, and, which kind of gets more into this idea of like, are you a are you on the side of the players or are you not? And, um, yeah. So, so I think the interesting part of the conversation we had, I think what you, you brought up and you can kind of correct my, my memory is it came down to a question of like fairness, fairness and judgment, right? And, and where is it important that when should a DM be fair or unbiased and when should they be biased in favor of the players and how, and how does that manifest when we're actually running a game? Yeah. So when I, when I sort of frame, because I try and articulate a little bit more in detail what I was yeah. saying yeah. in Discord, because I'm notoriously bad at, at doing that via text. Almost I mean, I, yeah, I think I got what you were saying, but go. But yeah, please. Yeah. So basically from where I'm sitting, um, 
I, I feel like oftentimes the DM has a responsibility towards a more neutral perspective when it comes to running the game. Um, and the reason I feel that way is because um, I feel oftentimes that, especially with fantasy, we're not we're not looking for a a a uh, very narrow set of experiences. Uh, the whole point is to really have a diverse set of experiences and by being a fan of the players i feel like that narrows that field hmm. um i personally in my own life i've had a lot of good experiences with failure and defeat mm -hmm. uh, i climb mountains and i'm a professional fencer uh, both of those things kick your butt pretty hard but they're extremely satisfying um and i put a lot of uh personal value on uh, achieving mastery and skill and putting, I think that's a very virtuous thing. I, for example, one of the more controversial positions I may have about D&D is I think everyone should aspire to be better. I, I think that's an inherently good quality and you should aspire to improve all the time. Now it isn't to say you are a bad player for not improving, but just that it's virtuous to try and get better at the game. Um, and I think oftentimes being better at D&D is a form of accepting new experiences and different styles of play. And I, oft and I think that players are not very good at driving that diversity of experiences. So by being a fan of them, you lessen the probability of those happening. And I sort of would say what I prefer to do is let the game sort of arbitrate itself in a way that lets those things happen a little more readily, either by the whim of the dice or by the whim of the player decisions making, um, like the, fr the freedom to make very uh, poor choices and, and seeing those choices play out and um, even letting the game end in a way that you didn't expect. Um, I see a lot of value in that. And even if those experiences are initially upsetting or difficult or challenging, oftentimes they're very memorable. Um, I will listen to people talk about bad experiences they had that they look back on them and say, oh, it was really not a great experience, but I learned a lot. Or uh, I'm really glad I had that experience. Um, and I put a lot of value on that. And, and especially yeah. in fantasy, I think that's an inherent component of it. So, yeah. so that's really, so I've, I've never, you know, I've, I've in, in all of the time that I have thought about how to help DMs get better at running D&D games, that idea of continual improvement is one that I've always embraced, right? That no matter how many mm -hmm. years one has, in fact, sometimes the years of experience can actually be a detriment. Uh, but no matter how, how good people think they are or how experienced they think they are, the minute they think they're really good and really experienced is about the time they've shut down to new experiences, modifying mm -hmm. their behavior. So I've always, you know, I'm, I'm actually really excited every time I get to learn new things about how to DM. Like I got I got involved in point crawls in a big way and I'd never even thought of them before. And suddenly I'm like, point crawls, like I want to, you know, and I'm reading every article <laughs> I can, right? And it's like, I've been playing 30 years. I never used them before. Uh, so I think that, you know, picking up new experiences from a DM perspective has been, you know, is, is I think really, really useful. And I'd almost argue critical to continuing to be a good dm i'd never thought about it from the perspective of a player before i've never it's never occurred to me till this conversation that mm -hmm. are, are we are we striving for the same thing for players now a question is are the players striving for that right are they are they striving to i mean so there's and then there's definitions like getting better so there's like understanding your character and getting better at the you know the mechanics of your character and understanding what situations they excel in in different ways like there's certainly an idea of learning how to play your character 
and learning what they're really good at. And on a player perspective, I've certainly seen that. But I think I don't I don't think that that's what you're talking about, right? You're 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 talking about sort of them getting better at being an overall as a player of D&D, knowing the kinds of things that they're going to need to know to navigate situations. Correctly. Yeah. Yeah, I find um, I, I play a lot of games outside of D&D to learn what it means to, to do game design. Um, some of these games are really adverse and they, they introduce lots of loss conditions and adversity. And now usually those aren't DM driven, but they, they often have a component to them that's like pretty harsh. Um, and losing or suffering defeat is a component of those games. Now, what I like is that oftentimes people go into these games with an understanding that this is acceptable, um, that there's a virtuous outcome that's desirable, but not achieving that and failing in the attempt is also a wonderful thing. Um, and I really enjoy those experiences. I look at uh, games like Dark Souls, for example, yeah. which is a game that, that is a teaches you through failure and is one of the most popular and successful games of all time. Now, obviously, tabletop RPGs and Dark Souls are different, but some of the underlying design principles of failure is valuable. Uh, it adds a diversity and a freshness to things is really important. And I think as a DM, engineering that is sometimes really important. Um, I've played games where the players have never lost a single combat. Yeah, they've had setbacks, but they've never lost. They've never failed to overcome every single challenge that's put in front of them. Um, never. They, they always find a way to get what they want. And I don't think that's necessarily something you always want to have in a story. I think especially fantasy stories are not about getting everything that you want, even if that's fun. Um, and, and, you know, you can find those moments as a DM and you can engineer them to be safe and interesting for everybody. Um, and, you know, I, I respect the fact that some people may not want to do this. When I was when I coach fencing, not everyone wants to be a professional fencer. That's OK. That's their choice. But th that isn't the same to say is there isn't value in seeking those things. There's value in both positions. I'm just trying to say there's value from where I'm sitting. Yeah. The, the interesting thing is, like, I think back, I'm, you know, while you're, while you're talking about it, I'm trying to think back over. I don't know. I tried to I think I counted all the campaigns that I've run since fifth edition has been out. I think it was it like 12. It's like 12 campaigns I've run of different kinds, like a lot of the hardcover. I think it might have been more than that, but it's like all the hardcover adventures and and a couple that went pretty long. And I'm trying to think about the number of times they lost, like actually lost a battle. Right. Like mm -hmm. their goal was some one thing and they didn't accomplish it. And I don't think I've ever run one where they've lost. Right. Like mm -hmm. I've run. And it's, I mean, we're talking hundreds and hundreds of battles. Right. And mm -hmm. they've certainly had people get killed and they've certainly scraped out with barely. I think yeah, I take that back. I think there's been a couple like a couple of times where they had like the fail forward moment where mm -hmm. every, I think I, I can recall a Tomb of Annihilation game where they all dropped. And mostly because a person put a necklace, an exploding necklace of fireball around their own head, um, right? The, you know, thinking it was going to save them, and instead it blew them up. Uh, but I think in that one, it was like a fail forward thing where, like, you know, one of them woke up with one hit point and was able to get the other ones back up and running, and then they were, you know, able to kind of figure it out. But but generally, I think the number of times, like, so my my I guess my my point is like, a all my players are still coming back. Right. And we've been mm -hmm. playing together for years. So they're having fun. Right. The game's not boring. They, they don't. I, I've never heard them go into a battle and think to themselves, well, we know we're going to win. So let's just do X, Y or Z. Right. Like mm -hmm. even though they you know, a Bayesian analysis would tell them they're very likely to because they've almost always won it. They, they, you know, I can count on one hand the number of times they didn't, you know, in hundreds of battles. 
Um, yeah. But yeah, and 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 you know, so so then like getting back to the the idea of is it is it because I'm being a fan of the players sometimes, but I'm it's also because they manage to get out of the situation that they're getting out of. They they will not take on certain fights that they can look at and go, yeah, this is a bad idea, right? Like mm -hmm. we're facing Clouth, a you know ancient red dragon archmage, and we're eighth level. I don't think so. I think we're gonna try to talk our way out of this one. Right. So yeah. they'll, they'll look at situations and recognize that like there are certain there are certain times where it's a bad deal. They'll look at dangerous spots and get out of them and they will look at a situation, be in the middle of it and say, I think we're all going to die. <laughs> you know, this happened just a couple of weeks ago. Right. We're going to you know, we're going to die. What what how do we want to go out in the biggest, best bat you know, way? Right. And they didn't die. They still made it, but they made really risky moves that ended yeah. up paying off for them. So I have an interesting question. Yeah. Um, how many times have you had a campaign end in play at an unintended moment? All the Basically time. like all yeah. the time. All the time. A, a campaign end or like yeah, an adventure end? A campaign. Like it, it, it like the party TPKs and that's it. Like I never had I never had a group TPK and the campaign was over. Interesting. So why why not? Um because through our group storytelling they've always managed to find a way out right even if it's not whatever the intended goal was but i've never had them wipe out and and i don't you know i mean seeing how my players have dealt with character deaths i don't mm -hmm. think they'd enjoy it and i don't mm -hmm. and i don't i don't think that that would be a learning experience for them that they want to hang on to right like i don't i don't think that's why they're coming to play dnd with me Right. Like, mm -hmm. and, and, and that's, that's what I think where this, where the, where the conversation goes is that where, the, where, where my original idea sort of is coming from is we all know what rule zero is, right? Rule zero is you, you aim where the fun is, right? That, you, yeah. you know, rule zero is good. And but the problem is like, that's such a platitude. Like no one knows what that means, right? Like, yeah, yeah, of course we're here for fun. What else the hell will we be doing here? Right. Although there's sometimes where people are like doing it a necessity. They're like, well, I, I'm DMing because nobody else wants to, and I hate it, but I'll keep doing it. Like there's occasionally times where people are doing that. So in the instance where your players didn't TPK, did you have to bend the rules to prevent them from TPK? Did I bend the rules? No, I more likely bent the situation. So an okay. example would be, I they were fighting an, uh, what, are, what is she, an, not an invoker. I think it was an invoker. They were fighting basically one of the daughters of Sorakel, who's really powerful. And she had like, she, she blasted them with a spell that nearly wiped them all out. And then the next time it was her turn, getting into her head this is where i was thinking about like the am i a fan of the players or am i true to the story right and what's the mm -hmm. balance of being true to the story and fan of the players and i'm like i'm gonna lean towards fan of the players because mm -hmm. true to the story means they could tpk in the last scene of the last campaign of a year-long campaign and that yeah. to me like i don't think that's gonna be fun for any of us it wouldn't be fun for me it's probably not gonna be fun for them yeah and, and so, so, so i had her use a spell that was a lot less devastating in something that was a little closer to something she might do. I mean, it was a great big battle, a lot of stuff going on. So it wasn't really bending the rules. It was slightly but, altering the way, the motivation of one of the, and one of the, yeah, bending, bending the meta. Um, yeah. Right. So, so I really, first of all, I really like that. That's personally how I think you should do things instead of, instead of tweaking the rules or fudging the dice, I prefer to like tweak the decision-making. Yes. The yeah. players, the players never complain when the enemy makes a bad decision. But if you admitted to your players that you were fudging dice, they would all be upset. Yeah. So I don't, I almost, I, you know, I, I, I like to quip that I don't, I don't fudge dice, but I fudge everything else. 
Right? Yeah, I, like I, the, a die I, roll is a die I, roll. That's sacrosanct. But like everything else around it is malleable, as far as I'm concerned. So, so here's like my thing is, I personally don't have enough faith in my own knowledge of what other people like and what is interesting or fulfilling or what helps them grow to make that call for them. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's interesting and pro thought provoking and in some cases true true to a more fantasy idea of th things happen um, and not always what you intend, not always what you want, not always what you expect. Um, that's a very fantasy-esque approach to things. Um, and I, I like it when those kind of things happen in game. And sometimes that means having an unceremonious end to the campaign. Um, when I was playing through Baldur's Gate 3 in the in the beta, just a slight spoiler for any involved, um, I walked up to a mind flare with my character who was injured and I started talking to it. Um, and <laughs> foolishly, I assumed that this was going to be a video game logic and it wasn't gonna follow D&D logic. And so I was talking to it and the mind flare starting to take control of my mind. And I'm like, no, dig deeper, learn what you can. And then the mind flare seized control of my character's brain and killed him. Right instantly and i was like i stood there shocked for a moment and then i started laughing uncontrollably because i said that was so fair and so reasonable and so amazing that i have no problem restarting the game because that was perfect and, and so you, beautiful... you didn't you didn't have a save or is it right at it, the beginning of the game there was a save but i just failed but I, I put my character in a position where they had to save or die and i i the game told me many times <laughs> right. in you're, its you're own gonna way get killed yeah that this is a bad move and i overconfidently assumed that a video game would not let me kill my character with a dialogue option mm -hmm. um in a in a combat video game and i love that moment as a perfect example of something i want to see happen in my home games because it felt so right as mm -hmm. to what should happen. I was, there was no anger. There and, was and so no... I think that's right. So that's, you know, when I, when I think about, so, you know, my, my, my first, I was again, I, you know, right before this conversation, uh, we were talking about it and then I went out for a walk with my wife and we talked about it the whole time on the walk and then we came right back in here. So a lot of my recent thoughts are thoughts that I just had about half an hour ago. And the, uh, one of the questions that, that I had was like, okay, so we know that, you know, rule zero is have fun. But again, that's a platitude and it's real hard to know exactly what that means. And then I was trying mm -hmm. to take it a level deeper of like, so what does fun mean? Well, yeah. we can have fun. I, I like to think of it like a craps table, right? And if you go to Vegas and you play craps, everybody's on your side. The pit bosses, the table dealer, everybody's on your side because they get tips when you win. So they want you to win. And the only enemy on the and the only enemy there are the dice, right? Like, you know, mm -hmm. only the dice could do bad things, except those jerks that that do uh, uh, the no no come out bets. They're jerks. But everybody else is on your side. And the uh, I like to think of D&D &D the same way, that many times I'll, I'll look at it and I'll say, like, you know, the ogre is about to club you. You've got four hit points left. He's going to drop you to zero. And a buddy of his is standing there ready to beam beam your head into the ground. I really hope he misses. Right. Like I want him to miss and I'm going to roll. We're all going to see if he misses or not. <laughs> right. But I'm on your side. I want you to live. And, and then I'll roll and either hits or misses. You know, if he misses, I'm like, hey, you made it. And they're like, hey, we made it. So, yeah, I think of it a little it, bit like like that. Um, but but it's also, you know, so I think in your in, in, the, in the in your mind flare discussion that you had is like you you knew what was going on. I think this is where the competitive cooperative DM thing sort of can can fall apart in some circumstances, which is a lack of information 
that that the DM is imparting to a player to for them to recognize the danger that they're in. So like you mm-hmm. knew that like I keep I'm I'm continuing to make this series of bad decisions, maybe, and I'm gonna see where it goes. And then where it went was yeah. my brain got sucked out of my nose, right? And yeah. and, and but you knew that that was a potential and you were surprised and shocked and like wow that really happened. And and I have yeah. I have a I have a uh, a D and D anecdote similar to this where um one of my they it was actually talk about it was sort of the opposite of a TPK although it ended it almost ended in a TPK but it came from a a, a, a fantastic victory where they went into a chamber and saw an abolith and they threw a force cage around the abolith and the abolith was basically stuck unable to do anything. And instead of fighting them, the Abolith made them a deal that it could give them access to the entire network of the Abolithic sovereignty, this huge network of all of the Aboliths with a, <laughs> millions of years of history. And it had spies in the enemy's camp, you know, in their, in their space. And if all they had to do was join with the Abolith, and they would have access to information that they would never be able to get any other way. And the, and the, and the players are like, well, we know what this means, right? We know that. Like we're gonna, you know, we're gonna have to join with this thing, and we're never getting it out of our head again. But yeah. we will be able to defeat Tiamat. We'll have information that's gonna help us to defeat Tiamat if we do it. And three of the five players, are like, yep, we're in. And I described the tentacles going up the nose and all the manipulation of their brain. And they're like, well, yeah. You know, one guy's like, I'm gonna have to kill myself when I'm done because, you know, when when, I, when once we defeated Tiamat, I don't know what I'm gonna do, and I don't want to be their agent. You know, and so they, yeah. they, they had this, this moment. And I was like, holy cow, the Aboleth won, right? Like yeah. the, the Aboleth just had a conversation with them and won. So, and that was one where like they knew what was going to happen, right? They knew what the situation was and they were able to make informed decisions of this hard choice of, are we willing to basically lose our, 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 you know, our self, not just self-control, but like our, the integrity of our own internal mind to a to a, yeah. a, a, a this massive network of creatures in order to feed our enemy, yeah. Where it so where I wanna, yeah, oh, go for it. Sorry. So I was gonna, where it breaks apart and where I've seen it break apart. So a lot of this came from some uh, Adventures League games that I've been playing, and I had like two that were back to back that were really interesting. One when and both of them were I would say pretty heavy tactical DMs, but one of them at the beginning of the game said, "I am a fan of the players. I'm here to give you guys a great game." I'm here to make your characters look like heroes. That's that's what I want to do here today. And so, yeah. you know, ask me questions or ask to clarify or whatever and I'm on your I'm on your side. And just hearing that made me know I was going to have a better experience in the game I had previously mm-hmm. where it was all like, you know, holding the holding the cards close to the chest. And if I didn't say, it was it was like playing uh, the text version of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. If you don't say things exactly right, you're never going to get anywhere. And only if you say the exact phrase the right way are you going to get access to the information you need to be able to make an informed judgment. So we like yeah. we were getting shot from creatures and shadows that we had no idea. We're like, well, you know, you didn't you didn't ask. And like my character would have asked. <laughs> like you know, in, there are circumstances where, and this this is something I fall back to, which is like our characters know way more about the situation than the players do. The characters yeah. are there looking at it. In the meantime, we've got this like four-way discrepancy between the DM's brain, what the DM says, what the player hears, and what the player thinks the situation is. And there's a lot of information that gets lost all the time between that and that network. Where yeah. if, if the DM is presuming like you're, you're an advent- your character's an adventurer, they're in a risky situation. They want to be careful. I'm going to give you information that you might not otherwise think to ask for. 
Yeah. So to sort of um, push back on that a little bit, I can also address a, a comment in the chat that I thought yeah. was interesting. Yeah, I mean, I've been keeping an eye and then I'm losing track. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. By Abyssal Icarus um, saying, I don't need virtue judgments in what is meant to be a fun time. Oh, I did I see that one. Yeah. I get enough of that IRL. I'd rather have fun with my players than worrying about if they're being made to suffer enough to build character. So I'm not advocating for suffering. I'm advocating for a reframing of what you perceive to be suffering into something that isn't actually bad because this is fiction. It's not actually, for the most part, harming you. Now, I'm not going to say if you know something causes you tangible harm, do that. That will never be my position. But I do think oftentimes people frame losing or suffering a TPK as something that is inherently bad. I'm pushing back on that and saying, I think that's a framing issue and not an issue of this is actually a problem. Um, so it's not about suffering. It's about understanding that what you perceive to be suffering may in fact be a facet of the game that you could learn to enjoy. Um, so additionally, the second point you made, uh, getting better at mechanics just leads to nitpicky metagame. I'm gonna hard disagree on this. Um, I think players that understand mechanics are some of the best players I can have at my table not because they're going to be nickel and diming me and rules lawyering me, but because they have they understand their tools and can therefore concoct the most creative and diverse approaches and solutions to problems. I have had so many players play characters where they only use a fraction of their toolkit, and this is because they mechanically do not understand what they have in their pockets. This isn't a dig on those players. They're still having fun, and I'm glad that they are, but they make the games less interesting. They're more simple. I've seen many times people just play a Warlock the same way over and over and over and over and over, despite the fact that Warlock is one of the most diverse classes in the game. And the reason people do that is because Warlock has a very obvious and efficient solution to 90% of the problems that step in front of you. Eldritch Blast, <laughs> now, why wouldn't you use that? But having understanding what tools are in your toolbox is only an empowering thing. Naturally, anyone can abuse that, but I don't see that as a problem. Um, I would say it's a part of getting better is understanding how to use those tools appropriately. Um, so to sort of speak, Sly, in general to what you're talking about, I um, I run games, or I ran a lot of games. Uh, I was paid to run APs as written um, by several different groups, um, mostly for Pathfinder, where people were saying, run this AP exactly as it is written so that we can't get mad at you for <laughs> things that happen. Um, and this was a fascinating experience for me because oftentimes the AP would say, this is the creature's decisions. This is what it does. This is how uh, it behaves. And I would run it to the hilt as written. And sometimes this would end in hilarious, hilarious failure. Sometimes it would be amazing in terms of what it would achieve. And a lot of times it would achieve a sort of middling interaction. But there were a couple of big takeaways I learned from running it this way. One, the players grew an appreciation for what it meant to TPK and could understand how that meant new opportunities for a game and how to continue a story. They learned how to lose characters and continue a narrative while still, you know, driving the game forward and understanding that losing was always a major factor and that the whole story didn't have to fall apart because certain characters died. This took skill and practice, and it was a nice skill for them to have because it meant me as the DM could be less afraid of, you know, making a mistake and killing them. Um, I really appreciated that. The other thing that it really taught me as a DM is what it meant to have really strong and effective design because I saw constantly what happened through experimentation and implementation, what went wrong, and the consequences of that. I learned a lot about my players, and we were all mature enough and able to handle the fact that sometimes things didn't go as 
planned and we would sit down and talk about these things if it seemed like it was really problematic or really frustrating or the kind of experience we didn't want to repeat. But we would never would have had those conversations if those things didn't happen. And as me assuming that I understood those people well enough, who for the most part were just folks I met on the internet or complete strangers, um, I felt would have been very presumptuous of me. And I'm not nearly talented enough to understand that. Now with people you know very well, I think you know it's much more reasonable to assume you know what you're doing when it comes to all these kind of decisions. But you know, a lot of times that's not the nature of how a lot of people play this game. A lot of people do not play this game with people they know. They're playing with strangers. They're playing with folks who they may know nothing about beyond a screen name. And, and I learned a lot about how to run games for folks like that by being more open to these, these wider array of experiences and letting them happen. And I, it's part of the skill building that I put a lot of value on. Yeah, I think there's, there's, you know, there's a difference there between campaigns and, and single shot adventures too, right? That if you're mm -hmm. running a lot of single, I mean, I can totally see like, hey, I'm gonna run, you know, Mjorkberg and boy, you know, I'm not pulling any punches when I run this game, right? You're like, you're catching that fish hook in the eye if I roll an eight. And and, and I could see that like certain games would de definitely lend themselves to the, you know, if you do everything right, you still have a 50-50 chance of getting wiped out somewhere in this adventure, uh, which is different than like you say, like running a home campaign where if I'm running an, a 14-month Eberron campaign, I sure would be nice if they didn't all wipe out in the final battle. You know, now if they did, like, yeah. I, I, so I do remember that, like, I ran a, a fourth edition 20th level game and I knew I was, I, I had a, you'll, you'll like this because I, I think you've got one of these too, a really beefed up version of Orcus, right? And I wanted a, an Orcus that could face six 30th level characters in fourth edition and, and <laughs> still give them a good chance to kill them. Oh, right? man. And I, luckily I had been playing enough fourth edition D&D &D to know how to make an Orcus that could, that could really put the screws on a six 30th level characters, right? And it was a lot of BS on his side, but it could still work. Yeah. And I remember like, what's my fallback if they get killed in this final scene? It was, that was like a four year campaign, not four year. It's like a two year campaign, right? And, and I had an idea of like, they're going to wake up in a pit of bodies in the middle of a ruined wasteland that had been their home world you know, 50 years later after Orcus has taken over. And now you know, like, we're going to have another part of this campaign where they'll see what, what 50 years had been like after losing to Orcus, what it was like for him to start destroying the multiverse. And, and I was like that, that I, in my head, I was like, man, I kind of hope they lose. Cause that's a pretty awesome story. Right. But they won. And I was like, great. You know, that's fine too. Yeah. Um, a, a scenario I encountered recently, which contradicts my own perspective and has caused me to rethink, <laughs> rethink my position. And I, I like to, you know, argue against myself too. I think that's, that that's a, an important thing yep. um, is in my age of worms game, um, which I just finished a couple of weeks ago, which was a wonderful one through 25th edition campaign, which Watsi, if any of you are listening, yeah, please do it, that. It'd be nice. <laughs> yeah. It would be nice to dig that out of a bunch of dragon magazine or dungeon magazine. Yeah. Uh, Age of Worms, one of the best APs ever written. Yeah, um, almost impossible to get. Yes, like, very I think difficult. you have to so, go buy like how many issues of Dun Dungeon Magazine in order to have that 12. AP? Twelve issues at five bucks a piece. Yeah, so um, online. Only. We got to Dragatha. So spoilers if you if you don't want to be spoiled on this. Um, Dragatha is this huge Draco, dragon, right? which is generally considered to be the unofficial final boss of Age of Worms because he's much harder than the final boss. Um, because of just where your characters are at the time and just the way he's statted. Now, converting it over to 5th edition, I aspired to stay as true to the spirit of the AP as possible, and being a professional game designer, I'm pretty good at that. 
Um, however, when the players were approaching Durgatha, first of all, it's imminently obvious that you are approaching Durgatha. And the game, the AP continually reinforces that you should be terrified of Dragatha, that he is an absolute whirlwind of death, and you shouldn't approach him carelessly. My wife, and this was her first 5th edition campaign ever, um, playing with my friends, so we all know each other very well. For whatever reason, it possessed her because she was tired and had worked a long shift, was not really grasping what was going on and went down ahead of everybody and everyone let her do that and i continually reinforced you know like you you're experiencing a sense of ominous dread as you draw closer to dragatha's lair yeah yeah so yeah i felt ominous she, dread before I'm, she's like i'm invisible and i'm like okay but invisible and ivy is not hidden just so you know and she's right. like yeah i know and 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 she walks around the corner and there's dragatha right, and with his with his dc 28 passive perception check yeah, and, and Dragatha is just. I smell you. There's no reason to let her walk out of there. Like, right. like there's no reason that he would ever do that. Yeah. Um, so I said, okay, let's pause the game. Yeah. Everyone pause. I said, this June, my wife June is about to die. This character is. There's no getting out of this scenario. Um, like, there's no amount of metagaming that I can conjure up on the spot, an improv I can conjure up to justify why Dragatha would let her walk out of there only to come back 10 minutes later with the party and beat him. And then fight him, yeah. Yeah, like, that's that's just not going to happen. Right. So I said, <laughs> Do, if the party is amicable, amicable to this, we can re-roll the last five minutes and undo everything that just happened under the premise that you guys pretend that you have seen and understood nothing that has transpired, or we can play it out, and I will let you guys decide. And the party decide to roll it back. Mm -hmm. And um, however, there were a couple of noteworthy things about that. One, it definitely diminished the game mm -hmm. uh, unequivocally. the The moment was ruined, and Dragatha was spoiled by following the interests and expectations of the players, which was really disappointing for me because. Mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time designing him and was really interested to run him and making this big, exciting, climactic thing. The campaign was still good and the session recovered, but it did damage, did a lot of damage, sort of going with what the players wanted. And I look back on this moment often and I think, what if I had just rolled with it? Mm -hmm. What would have happened? Would that have been better? Because there were there were negative consequences to going with what the players wanted. It, it detracted from the experience. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, inf infamous Bob. I'm. I. This was one of the first times I've ever done that, and I only did it because it was my wife's first fifth edition campaign, and I. I really wasn't sure how she would feel if she just walked in and got herself killed, and then the party has to either uh, four Mandragatha, which is a probably a problem, um, or not. And and I look back on this moment often, and I think, did I make the right decision? Um, because I think there I was a fan of my players, mm -hmm. right? And I don't regret it. But I'm not sure I made the right call. What would you say? What would you say, Sly, in in that situation? Or am I missing? Am I missing a um, an option that I didn't see at the time that I could have performed? How would you have handled that situation? I so there's 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 enough missing information that I don't think I could offer a solution that mm. truly makes sense. Um, you know, I mean, like immediately my thoughts are like, well, do you have a cleric? Right. And if it's high enough level, you know, you could have a dead character in there and the cleric walks in and flips a finger and that dead character is up to full and, and fighting option right away. Uh, but there might have been reasons why that totally doesn't work. Right. Like, 
Well, it's it's yeah. uh, they didn't have a cleric, and also Resurrections cast time is longer than an yeah, action. Yeah, but like, so. what's the Revivify? I think is an action, and you can at least get something. It has to. It has to be done within like a minute. I yeah, think. it has to be done quickly mm -hmm. enough. But I wasn't sure it has how, to be done how quickly, far out. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it it. But so yeah, but yeah. It, it, I I I'm trying to. I I also I I definitely have retconned, but I've usually I retconned like a turn. Right. Like I'll, I'll, we'll go back. Like if somebody goes forward and does a thing and then they're like, Oh, wait a minute. I totally didn't realize this thing was over here. Can I mm -hmm. just pull back what I did? And I'm like, yeah, go ahead. Right. I've, I've yeah, pulled yeah. back like a, a, a character's turn. I don't think I've ever mm -hmm. pulled back a fight. I don't think yeah. I've ever retconned my way out of a fight. Um, but probably like where I would lean to in a situation like that is trying to find the way where, it's true to you know so and th so this is this is part of it that I've, I've I've talked about on another show and I've been trying to like get the equation right in my head of when you have like what's true to the scene on one side right like what makes sense for the situation is something I'm always keeping in mind right like you have mm -hmm. a situation the situation is you have one of the most powerful beings in this world certainly one of the most you know powerful dragons and you know the droglitch to boot uh in it in its lair with a bunch of adventures coming in it's like that's the situation and then you know, and one of them sneaks in and he easily sees who it is he easily sees that someone's there you know yeah. where i lean to is like and then on the other side you have well what's 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 going to be fun for the players what's going to be you know what's going to make this a, a good time or particularly what's not going to make it a bad time depending on in that circumstance and then trying to find a balance between the two yeah, with, with it, probably leaning leaning a little bit more towards like I, I think probably if you depending on and I'm not criticizing because we're all we're all in games and God knows what we're doing is just very spur of the moment. But like a question is if if she was walking like could it have been stopped earlier to say like and I, and I've done this and this I don't know if you think this is a good idea or not, but I will often practically break character and say you are almost sure this is a situation you're not going to win. Before yeah. it happens, right? Like, and that's one where it's like, uh, would the would the character be you know, not smarter? Smarter's rude, right? But would the character yeah. have a better understanding of the situation than the player does? And can you give that information to the player? Like, your character recognizes they're about to die, and they yeah, would really no, I, prefer you don't push them into that tunnel. <laughs> no, I did all of that, but she had worked a really long shift that night, mm -hmm. and she just mentally was not just wasn't getting it, or 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 just wasn't felt like yeah, but my in, my invis I'm invisible, like nothing. Gets yeah, if you're just on way. autopilot, you're in a fugue, right? And sure, you, yeah, yeah, and yeah. You just had problems. Like that was the situation, which also, you know, at the end of a long work day, one of the last right. things I want to do is completely body that character. I know, and, right. Like, right, yeah, so like, we play, right. My, my, I have my, two games, a Sunday and a Wednesday game. And my Wednesday game is late at night on Wednesday or not late, but it's like seven o'clock after a work day. Everybody's, you know, everybody's tired, right? And everybody's, you know, we're all like, everyone's just trying to relax. <laughs> and so yeah. that, that game in particular, I have to be careful because I recognize that like people are still got some work going on in their head or they're figuring out how to, you know, yeah. what traffic's like on the way home. Yeah, well, you brought up earlier as a as a question response to my position is like, is it the DM's responsibility to be a teacher? Um, and that's a really good question, and it made me sort of think about my position a lot because I am a teacher. I'm, I'm a fencing instructor. Right. I, I I always approach things from a position of wanting to educate, improve, and expand. Um, that's a that's a big thing for me when I'm working and playing with other people. Um, and when I DM, I personally I I, I am very satisfied and see satisfaction in players who have uh, achieved 
something that they did not have before at the end of the campaign, whether it's mastering a new class or, or having a story beat that they, they weren't expecting or hadn't had before, like being told I've never had that happen in a game before is one of my favorite things being told, even if that thing sucked. I like hearing it because <laughs> it's like, that means you won't forget this thing. Um, and I, I think of mountain climbing a lot too, where you, you have a general idea when you look at the mountain, what you're getting yourself into, but pitch for pitch, um, you know, bit for bit, you don't really know. And you will encounter things that you did not expect and that will suck. Um, but that doesn't detract from the experience of climbing the mountain. It enhances it. And 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 I like to think that in a D&D game, we should aspire to have highs and lows um, a little bit more. And I, I worry that by being fans of the players, the lows start to feel less like lows and more like neutral spaces. Yeah, so yeah, I think I think that's that's certainly something that I you know that uh, you, you know how I feel about pacing, right? And the importance mm -hmm. of upward and downward beats. I think upward and downward beats are critical for a game to feel fun. That you have to have good things happen and bad things happen, and good things happen and bad things. Tough situations and and you know unexpectedly tough situations and unexpectedly good situations that come up. The idea of like you're in a dungeon and you get shot by a trap and it's way worse than you thought and you lose an arm to gangrene. And, but then you fall through a wall and you find a holy fountain that no one knew was there and you're able to get some hit points back. Like this, you know, there's always these like, you know, uh, upward and downward beats. And being a fan of the players doesn't mean not challenging them. And it doesn't yeah. mean not putting them in rough situations or that they end up in situations that are even harder than you would ever want or ha ever expected. Um, you know, mm -hmm. one of, another another really fun situation where, you know, it's a, it, it's similar to what you were describing where, this terrible thing happened, but by God, we were laughing our asses off when it did. And, <laughs> and we still talk about it now. And it was when the characters got attacked by Varghuls. Are you familiar with the Varghul? They're like the bat like, vampire like, red head. It's things like, yeah, it's a disembodied head wings. with vampire wings, with wings coming out of the side. But one yeah. of the things that it will do is it will bite you and disease you. And if you are diseased uh, and it lasts more, I think if in, within eight hours, uh, it will, your your own head will rip free from your body and turn into a Varghul. Oh yeah, it's some grim. It's grim. grim. And and one of the players <laughs> got bit by these things and failed their save and they had it. And they, they beat, they, you know, they were like really powerful. They were like seventh, eighth, you know, seventh level or whatever. And the Varghuls are pretty low CR. And they beat the crap out of the Varghuls. Like they didn't have any trouble. And then the guy's like, well, I got this disease. And who's got cure disease? And everyone just starts looking at each other. And the guy's like, I don't have it memorized. And they're like, well, how long does it take to get memorized? He's like, eight hours. He's like, when's the disease oh, going to go no. off? Seven hours and 55 minutes, you know? And so we had this wonderful scene where they're like, well, let's at least get through the rest of the dungeon. And so they got through the whole dungeon and then they're on their boat and they're like, well, I got good news and bad news. The good news is I do have Revivify. So when your head rips free and starts flying away, we'll just kill it and Revivify you and you'll be fine. The guy's like, I don't want to die. Like, you know, and so they had this scene where like, one character is holding his hands and telling him it's going to be okay. And another character is throwing a net over his head because it's like, when your head rips free, we don't want that thing flying off. Right. So like, we'll put a big net on you. And then the third character has like a big oar. is like, okay, I'm ready as soon as that thing. And then he's like, how soon is it? He's like five minutes. He's like close enough. And this clubs his friend to death. That's awesome. And so, so that was this wonderful scene that came out of nowhere. None of us expected it. It was really dark and grim. One of the players, one of the characters died but all of us 
thought it was the funniest thing that happened in maybe that entire campaign. And and it happens yeah. for the moment. It, it was still, I still feel like, even in that circumstance, I was explaining what the results were. And I was even offering, here are things you can do. Like you don't have, you know, do you have Revivify? You don't have Cure Disease, but you have Revivify. Like, yeah, like, well, that's an yeah. option. Well, I, I definitely feel part of the problem too is for so often for D&D, &D, the only failure state is death and right. complete obliteration of the party, yeah. which I think is a flaw of how fifth edition constructs a lot of its encounters, which is like victory or death, um, which I would, I, I think it's much more interesting to prescribe encounters where the stakes are very clearly not death. Um, and I like that a lot more in my RPGs where it doesn't feel like if you lose, you get completely bodied and you have to reroll characters. One of the things we did with our total party kill handbook series was introduce a lot of creatures where defeat meant you uh, suffered severe consequences, but were not destroyed and could recover just to facilitate the idea that getting completely wasted by an enemy monster does not have to be a negative experience for the campaign because it forces it to end, but a transformative one. There was a thread recently on Twitter, I think started by ThinkDM talking about TPKs and sort of asking, you know, is this an okay thing for a game? And my response to that was, I'm confused as to why people think TPKs need to end a game. First of all, in an era where we, or when you know, first of all, that there are many afterlifes, you can visit them with spells and call entities up from them and you know do things with them. Why must the game end when your party TPKs? Why can't you all go to an afterlife and continue the adventure? Um, Ghost Walk in three five, Monty Cook's very funky, fresh campaign setting about spookiness. Uh, allowed you to come back as a ghost character and continue your story. Um, I love these kind of things. And the, one of my favorite moments ever was intentionally TPKing a party so that I could offer them the opportunity to return as ghost characters and continue the story under the premise of Ghost Walk. Now, as you can imagine, the players were extremely antagonized leading up to the TPK. They were not happy, they were getting wasted, they felt the encounter was ludicrously unfair and were quite upset with me personally leading into that event. But as soon as they realized what was happening and that this was a, a moment of growth, their entire attitude changed. And I kind of think that oftentimes we can, that was a very, you know, it happened in a short period of time, but I think if you build out those kind of moments into entire campaigns where you bake in failure, you bake in defeat and adversity in ways that don't initially seem to be fruitful, but then over time reveal themselves to be really meaningful and interesting moments or that were catalysts for something fantastic, um, you get you get some of the best and most memorable campaigns you've ever run. That's my theory anyway, uh, yeah. you know. Dave, Dave Chalker, so Dave Chalker was uh, on this show um, recently, and he described, he, he has a concept that I've been hanging on to called the combat out, right? Which is how does a battle, how, how can you end a battle that isn't just one side getting killed by the other? And there's lots of things like, is a ritual getting conducted and you're trying to interrupt the ritual is an easy, an easy one, right? Like, are you able to interrupt the ritual? If you are able to interrupt the ritual, you, you succeed, even if you're, you know, having to run right afterwards. Uh, or if you disrupt the ritual, yeah, if you disrupt the ritual, you win. And if you don't, even if you didn't wipe out all the other guys, and even if they didn't wipe you out, the big demon is here, and now you're in real trouble, right? Like you thought it was bad before, yeah. now now you're in real trouble. And you know, but but one of the things you know in the in the idea of like setting up outs. So one thing I think I agree with you on a, a, a fair bit is like, but I think I handle it differently. 
if I look at a, if I look at a situation, so first of all, I, I think it's important to understand like how I develop these things. And one is like, I don't build encounters, right? I don't, I don't sit and mathematically figure out what they're mm. going to do. I, I figure out what the situation dictates based mm -hmm. on the story and all that goes in. And then I do a little bit of math to figure out, is that likely deadly or not? Right. Or is that potentially deadly or not? And if it is, it is, but it's got a reason to be deadly. And yeah. I will then say to myself, okay, if it is deadly, if it does result in a TPK, again, almost never happens, uh, <laughs> mostly because I, I always underestimate the power of the characters. And I certainly underestimate the, 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 you know, how, how good the players are going to be at navigating the situation. Uh, yeah. Then what happens if it TPKs? Right. What mm -hmm. will they end up in Elysium? Right. And now they have to, you know, make their way out of Elysium to do what's right. And, you know, so I'll, I'll still think about like, well, what happens, you know, what happens on the TPK? And I keep it in my back pocket. So if they do great and if they succeed, I'm not worried about it. Right. If they yeah. if they fail, then I've got this thing that I've, I've got in my back pocket where I can where I can I can go there. And I, and I think that that certainly makes me more comfortable. Uh, mm -hmm. putting them in situations that are, that are, you know, very potentially deadly. Yeah. Um, uh, in one of my favorite activities as a writer is to look at existing stories and try and rewrite them in a way that makes them more compelling. Mm -hmm. um, and one of my descent into Avernus prompts for doing this was that the party gets betrayed and murdered and that's how they end up in Avernus. Yeah. Great. And yeah. Then they have to, con then that's how they, that's the descent is yeah. like they, they get they've already descended. <laughs> and then, and then they have to, and that traitor becomes the main antagonist who they fight at the end, who the players will hate with a fiery passion for sending them to hell, um, right? And and that would have that yeah. would have been how I would have. So I think, run I that think infamous infamous Bob is bringing us back to the topic at hand here, uh, which yeah. is the the idea of the and and this is where this my my idea my 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 thought about this first came from came from, which is, do we have competitive versus cooperative DMs? Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and and, and are, are there such things? And when I think about even the term judge, it bugs me because I'm not playing chess. Right. I'm mm -hmm. I'm I'm here to have a story of high adventure. And, and it could be that, like, well, why? Why are you coming to the table? Like, why are the players coming to the table? And that maybe that's not managed right. And we even talked about this, like, do you want to split like organized play up into your who are the people that are here to, to share a fine story of high adventure and who are the ones that want to theory craft their characters? I'm being facetious, right? But who are the yeah. ones that want to really have a challenge for their characters and, and yeah. then different sets of adventures for one and different sets of DMs. And I know that like, A, the kind of DM I want to be is a, you know, a DM that is helping, uh, helping a story happen at the table, right? We're, we're, mm -hmm. we're watching the story take place. And as part of that, the heroes of that story are the characters, right? Like first yeah. and foremost, they're more important than my villains. My villains aren't going to be mad if they get killed because they're not real, <laughs> right? But like my players will be mad if their characters get killed. So like, yeah. you know, I, and, and, and so on the cooperative versus competitive DMs, I, like one, one reason why I think it's an important story is in my organized play games, it's about 50-50, right? About half the DMs that I've, that I've been a player with they are about like, look, the sanctity of the five foot square is more important than whether or not you're having a good game, right? Yeah. And then the other half are like, I don't care about five foot squares. Are you having fun? Like, what do you want your character to do? And, and, and yeah. you know, and let's, let's, let's see if that makes sense for this situation. But I've had DMs where it's like, I'll tell them like, look, I am a halberd wielding polearm fighter. I want to stand there and face off against this army of gnolls. And when they come in, I want to hit them like that first scene in, in Lord of the Rings. And what did he do? He had all his guys run around me three squares out so that I'd never be able to do that. And I'm like, 
why would I tell you? You know, <laughs> right? It's like, and why? Because you you give away a move, right? You told me you were going to do a thing. I'm going to make yeah, sure you don't get to do that. And I was like, what an ass, right? So you know, while I while I advocate for neutrality as a as a DM when it comes to arbitrating the play, let me first say I understand perfectly that that is not possible because your biases always come out in how you do things. I just, it's one of those things that I think is aspirational. Um, and, but I do, I will say thinking about this more, I do think when I prep, um, first of all, I wanted to compliment the fact that you can prep in that way and not TPK people. I don't know how you do that. That seems like sorcery to me. Cause I, I have mean, to I, like... I told you that my Eberron. So I, I did the calculation on, on how many total challenge ratings were the monsters I could have in a fight that was deadly. And I think it was like 43. And then I calculated how many I actually had, and it was 156. It was yeah. like, I really kitchen sink that fight. Now, the circumstances meant that it wasn't quite as deadly as it sounded. They weren't in a center of a room with all these guys coming from all sides. It was a ritual that was taking place that they were disrupting. So they had much yeah. easier chance to do that. So, but for it almost me, killed them. I, so for me, I would say when I'm prepping, if I'm doing homebrew, I, I am designing as a fan of the players, because I want them to experience a story and I want them to get something out of that story. Um, and for me, I'll, I'll put a little spin on it to make it usually like I want it to be a, a something new on some level. I, I, I One of 2C Gaming's mottos in general is like, let's not copy what other people are doing. We have to add a twist to every little thing. Otherwise it gets very tedious, at least for us. Um, and that's just me personally. I just like doing new things. So every campaign I run has to have some kind of new moment for the players that I've never done before. Um, sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, but so I design for the players, but then I run it as neutrally as I possibly can because the, the, all the bias that I wanted to give them went into the architecture of it. Mm -hmm. um, I, I have created the maze and put the signs up. The rest is up to them. And I have enough confidence in my design skills to say, I feel like, I was more than generous when creating the maze. Um, and I wouldn't say this needs to be true of everybody because I am paid money to be a full-time <laughs> RPG designer. So when I say this, I'm not saying you should do this to the audience. I, I am very privileged to have tens of thousands of hours of expertise in this area where I can, I can be really consistent and good at this. Um, but when I look at that, it's much more interesting to me to, to build the architecture to be biased towards them and then arbitrate it neutrally because at least for me as a publisher, the theory is if I had designed this for a thousand people, 99% of them would still get the desired experience out of it. Mm -hmm. So if I, if I biased it well for them, then a neutral arbitrator should be able to run this and get the desired good, outcome. Good luck with that at high tiers. <laughs> <laughs> hey. We I have tried. I know you have. <laughs> we, it is not for lack of trying. And I will say, we've gotten really good at it, which is why I said, especially the Best Jury Volume 2 was was the one of the best books we've made, because that one consistently not only delivered on the performance responses, but the emotional responses. Like, yeah, people's emotional reactions to the monsters were exactly what we were looking for, where, like, people felt disgusted or terrified or, like, mystified by what they were looking at. They're like, oh, that's so cool. Or like, mm -hmm. we're like, good, because that's exactly what we wanted you to feel. Um, and that's a fascinating thing. And I think part of this discussion is framed as my bias as a publisher, where at this point, almost everything I make is designed to be consumed by mm -hmm. tens of thousands of people. So I have to, you know, really 
I, I'm not expecting there to be arbitration in game. There's a reliance on me to do all the the the, bi or the bias design that favors the players in advance, and then whatever happens happens. Right. Um, so it, yeah. It, the the interesting thing is, I almost I'm almost designed in the reverse manner. I saw you know mine is like unless I'm writing a, a book, you know, where I'm trying to build things that are clear, but we have play testing and all sorts of other things that we do for that. But if I'm, if I'm setting up like a game, if I'm prepping for a session, I'm going to run, I, I almost set up the situation regardless of the characters, right? Like I don't, I don't say like, well, they're level six, so they'll be able to handle X, Y, and Z, you know, mm. it, you know, it's, and, and, and especially at high levels, most of the time they can face a lot of low level guys because there's just not a lot of high level guys in the world, right? Um, yeah. The but I will I will set up the situation regardless. I, I I try to do this. I don't know if I actually do it, and I'd have to look back at fifty videos of me doing the prep to see. But like, <laughs> I try to set up the situation regardless of the characters, and and then it may be easy or hard. But then when I'm running the game, then my my bias comes in at that point, right? Mm. Where I almost look at it, and I joke about it that like I'm just an antenna. I'm an antenna for another world. I'm, I'm not, I didn't create it. Right. And it's always like the joke, of course I created, but you know, I like yeah. to think of it. I, I really like to imagine like that world exists and, and all of the six of us or seven of us that are around this table are peering into that world to try to see what is going to happen. Right. Yeah. And I'm on your side. And even though I'm rolling the dice for the bad guys, and even though I'm, you know, acting on their behalf when it's their turn, the reality is we're all here to watch that story happen. And so I'm, I'm figuring out that story during prep, but I'm not being fair. Like, obviously, if I said like, no, you know, like they're about to break a ritual where that was as devastating as whatever caused the mourning in Eberron. And I'm going to decide that that's actually an entity that's like a, an angry living wish spell. So what's the closest thing to an angry living wish spell I have? And I was like, I'll go ahead and use that uh, the the Lord of the Slods uh, with the with the scythe that disintegrates people on a hit. Uh, I'm like, that sounds say. cool. I know you probably I, I should have checked out my total bestiary value too. I was gonna say you've got and a, I'd have like a million things in there, which will uh, <laughs> uh, tear tear it up pretty good. It's a problem. But I got 1,100 PDFs in my in my folder. <laughs> so I so I pick, I grab this one monster. I was like, I'll just throw that, and it's like CR 26, and it's you know, and as you and I know, CR 26 can mean a lot of different things when Watsi published it. And, yeah. But this is an actual CR 26. Like it is really, really, really dangerous. And, nice. and, and so when we talk about fudging, I was like, well, he, you know, I actually fudged against him. I had a guy shield shove him through a portal into another world at the last second. Right. And mm -hmm. save everybody by getting this thing. But I was like, you're not going to get to be able to shield shove this guy for free. So I'm like, he hits you with his scythe on the way and your arm is gone. And so he's yeah. like, oh my God, my arm. Cause I was like, you're going to lose the shield. And he's like, well, the shield's attached to my arm. And I'm like, guess what that yeah. means? Um, well, one of the, so one yeah, of the I, I, I try to build the situation regardless and then arbitrate with an idea of what is going to be fun for everybody that's here. I, I think it's kind of neat that you and I sort of have an inverted process right. for this. Yeah. Where I like bias in the design and then you bias in the in the implement in the in the play. Yeah. I, I will say after this discussion, I'm moving a bit more towards your position because I think <laughs> I think well, I think this has exposed um a flaw in my approach in that I approach things fundamentally as a designer because I'm constantly trying to improve and expand my own skills. So I might place unwarranted importance or at least an overemphasis on diversity of experiences because I'm trying to edify and discover 
um, things about game design that would not edify this bad word, um, discover things about game design that, that I'm hoping to implement that make my stories and my content new, unique and interesting. Um, and I'm more prone to experimentation and seeking that out because of it. So I think, I think looking at that, I, I at the very least, uh, don't feel as, as, as strongly about being totally neutral as before, especially if you're not fudging dice. Um, yeah, that's, I don't, that's, and that's, that's why that's I think like, that's one I will uh, I will say you you objectively should not do that because the anytime people tell me they fudge dice my counter to that is always if you told your players you were fudging yeah, your dice how do you think they would feel yeah if right. the answer is they would feel terrible then you probably shouldn't be yeah, doing that. yeah yeah and and right so I and I have from time to time right like there's, yeah, me too you know there's been more than <laughs> once when it's happened but generally speaking I will fudge everything else I'll fudge hit yeah. points I'll fudge damage. I'll fudge the number of monsters. I'll fudge their number of attacks, but I'm not fudging the yeah. rolls because they know what a roll looks like, but they don't necessarily know how many attacks a ghoul might get. Why, yeah. why is it suddenly getting two claw attacks instead of one? Because I want it to. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's and 5e, this is also why I advocate for mechanical mastery of 5e is because 5e, if you learn to master the mechanics, a lot of the mechanics are like, describe what you do and the DM will tell you what happens. Mm -hmm. That's the mechanic. Like ability, that's how ability checks work. Yep. Say you you push the monster. Yeah. Okay. The DM tells you how to do that. Like they don't tell you you can't do that. You describe what your character does, and the DM tells you what happens. If it fails, it fails. But like the whole point there is, it provides uh, the DM opportunities to to make things that the rules, the mechanics don't rigidly support still happen. Five E is wonderful in that capacity. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't know those things exist. So it's like, no, 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 master the mechanics because you'll find lots of opportunities for more flexibility, not less. Yeah. Uh, but they're in there. Yeah. Um you just gotta you gotta poke around. Like I one of the things that always gets my goat is that when players don't cast spells like commune with nature or augury right. or like the the information gathering spells for when your skills are <laughs> failing you. Like you you've got options. Use yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah, well, in the same in the same sense that 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 you you've you've picked up some things from what I've been saying that that the same is true the other direction, particularly in the what is the DM's role in 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 I, I I'm even nervous to say in teaching players, but in more in in helping players learn <laughs> learn more, whether whatever that happens to be, like how are you building how are you facilitating a situation where players are are continually learning things, both about the world and about the mechanics and about the you know the interaction at the table right like how how things operate at the table so that's that's something that i hadn't really thought about much and i think i'll be thinking about more but we've we've hit we've hit roughly an hour so i don't want to i don't want to uh, overstay everybody's welcome here i don't want to over overstay your 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 time i've got i've got pizza cooking upstairs <laughs> I, have, I have writing that i'm supposed to be doing right <laughs> yeah now. don't we all <laughs> But, so, I always you know, have writing. I always have writing that I'm supposed to be doing. I do want to say to the audience, I really appreciate the fact that there was a lot of like wholesome and productive discussion around this, especially because some, very often that does not happen. No, um, especially when you have two sides of a coin. Yeah, when, when when there's active when there's active and passionate disagreement, and everyone's still like really cool with each other at the yeah. end, that makes me feel really good about this community. Yeah, and okay. and like, good good on you guys for for being here, even if even if you hated everything that I said. <laughs> And no one was a I, jerk. Yeah, like I, no one, <laughs> no one was cruel or or disparaging, and I I think that that's great, and I hope that yeah. at the very least I I provoked a thought or two. Yep, yep. No, oh, I really appreciate the time. It's been very cool. Very always always good to talk to you. 
And uh, yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll talk a bit. We'll talk again. Maybe we'll talk about high level foes. Oh, okay. yes, please. <laughs> we'll, we'll add that to our list. Let's talk about big boss monsters. How many hours do you have? Yeah, boss? right. Right. How to run how to run big boss monsters. Episode yeah. seven. Yeah, <laughs> it'll be it'll be a thing. All right. Well, day. Ryan, thank you very much. And, and thank you all to uh, on Twitch for hanging out. And we will uh, we'll, we'll be back again soon.